This is Classical Ideas with Greg Soden. The worlds of podcasting, music, and writing brought me to find and start corresponding with today's guest, Chris Grasso. I found Chris's work while researching for my chat with Raghunath in episode 52, and I discovered he'd also had on Brad Warner and Miguel Chen from Teenage Bottle Rocket. I listened to all of those episodes on Chris's show, The Indie Spiritualist Podcast, and then read his newest book, Dead Set on Living, and became a fan. I liked his work instantly because not only does he like metal, punk rock, hardcore, and hip-hop music like me, but he's also a deeply curious, poignant, funny, and honest person. This conversation is the sound of two people with similar interests becoming friends on two microphones 390 miles apart. Simply put, had Chris and I grown up in the same town, we would have been friends. We talked about everything under the sun, from punk rock to psychedelics to writing and podcasting to meditation to addiction to Satanism, Ramdas, heavy metal band, Lamb of God. There was no constraining us. So you should go get Chris's newest book, Dead Set on Living, from Simon & Schuster, and download his podcast, The Indie Spiritualist, which features about 80 hours of conversations with Ramdas, Brad Warner, Mirabai Starr, Damian Eccles, and many, many more. I sincerely hope you enjoy this conversation with Chris Grasso. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I'm a fan, and I really you, appreciate man. you taking the time to uh, to talk to me today for for my show as well. And it just means a lot. Uh, the, uh, the feeling is definitely mutual. I'm seeing your little, uh, icon and I see all the very nice, uh, religious iconography. And, uh, so I can tell right away you're, you're my kind of dude. So awesome. Good to connect. And, uh, I'm wearing a descendants t-shirt right now as well. So I'm, okay. uh, I'm a brother, is, uh... in, I'm, I'm a brother in tunes. <laughs> That's all actually a little salt in the wound. Cause they just played here in Connecticut and uh, my friend's band opened for them, and I was out of state, and it really tore me apart. But was love the it, Descendants, so yeah. anyways. Was it, uh, was it Wilhelm Scream? Uh, no, uh, their uh, Teenage Bottle Rocket. Oh, uh, dude. Yes. Miguel Chen. Um, and anyone who's listening, please check out his work. And Rod Mead Sperry, who works for uh, or runs Lions Roar yeah. uh, Buddhist Magazine. But they wrote a book together. Um, that was phenomenal. They're working on a new book together. Um, so cannot recommend them enough. Wilhelm Scream, another amazing band, and actually just turned my girlfriend onto what Wilhelm Scream actually means, and she was her mind was blown. So. Yeah, it's like that Star Wars thing when they push the people off into the bottomless yeah. pit, right? Yeah, it's it's in everything. I mean, The Hobbit, like I, literally, it's in. Like 80% of movies have it, and it's pretty rad. Oh, that's fantastic. And I see that you've also gotten some some big fans that I'm also a fan of, like uh, Randy Bly from Lamb of God was recently promoting your book, which I found really, really cool. Yeah, he's a – dude, what a good guy. Me, uh, him, and John Joseph from Chromags, we're going to be doing um, some workshops together next year, which I'm jazzed about because I love Lamb of God and – you know, Randy's one of the best, in my opinion, best uh, metal vocals ever. So, yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And his uh his autobiography of his time in uh in Pancras, I guess it's called yes. Prison in Czech Republic. That yeah. book is absolutely amazing. Yes, I saw the documentary and then I read the book and it's like wow. Um I mean the documentary is phenomenal, but yeah, the book, whoa. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, so much respect to Randy. Yeah, yeah, great. And that's the thing. What one real quick thing? Yeah, he's as real as it gets. Like he is in one of the biggest metal bands ever, but he's such a real dude. Yes, and uh, those are the kind of people like I really respect. So yeah, a couple years ago, uh, he when he got out of prison, he went on tour almost immediately when he got home, and they were playing yeah. in Columbia, Missouri, and he was eating at this little Korean barbecue across the street from the venue called the Blue Note in Columbia, Missouri, and I uh, went in and I, um, you know, after he was done eating, I said hi, I'm really glad you guys are here, and he was just the nicest guy, and so I agree, and I also hear him talked about a lot on uh jamie josta's podcast as well which is a lot of fun yes of course and i uh and well i'm from connecticut so i grew up um playing in bands that toured with Hatebreed all the time and know jamie well good dude um yeah man it's cool to see like people from the scene that that are legit still to this day you know they they've made it and they're still human beings that's uh that's what matters. So. Absolutely. Very cool. And that was uh, my thing as well, growing up in high school. You know, I grew up in the punk scene, and then I've come to all of this uh, podcasting and teaching and stuff way later on in my life. But, you know, having uh, conversations with folks like you who come from sort of the same kind of roots is just an, an immediate bond. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. For sure. And um, so I'm really glad to, uh, to talk to you today. So uh, really quick, um, can you just kind of go ahead and tell the audience who you are and just a very, very brief introduction to uh, to some of what you do? Yeah, um, man, you caught me at a funny time, to be honest with you, and, and I'm, I'm glad he did. Um, you know, my name is Chris Grosso. I've written some books. I've played in some bands. I've recorded some albums. Um, I've spoken at some pretty big festivals with, quote unquote, a-list spiritual teachers and uh you know i found myself recently like really reevaluating all of that and uh you know it, it i'm always grateful for the opportunity to help other people um but when it comes you know to the bigger stuff uh i don't know man it's not resonating so much with me so that said I do workshops with teenagers uh, at least three times a month. I um, I was very blessed to teach last month with. Uh, I again I I think I mentioned I live in Connecticut and uh, I got to go in and <laughs> teach a uh, the police academy the cadet uh, academy uh, some meditation techniques and that was really meaningful and. Yeah, I'm in a weird uh, transition phase right now, to be honest, where like I I just I want to pull back. Like I love the fact that I've written these books and that they've helped people. And I mean, legit every day I get such meaningful emails or whatever from people, uh, social media messages that, you know, they've read the book, whether they were directly affected or they have a loved one that was. Uh, that means the world to me. So I'm conflicted because like, I'm glad that I'm helping people like that. But at the same time, um, going back to the punk rock thing, man, like I, I don't want to be like 
some I, I've never called myself a spiritual teacher. I never ever will. I, I just want to be someone who helps someone and uh, and it it does you know it does bother me a little when I feel like people are putting me up on a pedestal inadvertently, not that they are intentionally doing it. Um, but I don't like that. And uh, so yeah, I'm in a weird phase and uh, one thing I think anyone who's listening to this knows about me is I'm always transparent and uh, I don't bullshit. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at right now today. There you go. You know, um, one of the things that I've explored some of your work, I've listened to a bunch of your podcast episodes and I've read one of your books cover to cover. And the thing that you remind me of is just a curious, open-minded person who is willing to try stuff and um, be very open about it. So, I, you know, that's really interesting to me as well that you say that you don't see yourself as a spiritual teacher because I kind of see you as someone that I have a lot in common with, just a curious dude with a lot of open-mindedness and questions. And and I think um, and I and I don't uh, I'm not Buddhist I'm not anything but one thing I do like is going back to kind of what the Buddha said was dude check it out for yourself if it works rad if not move on find what does and uh, the the funny thing is you know move, moving from those punk rock and hardcore ethos into uh, you know a, a deeper exploration into life. Um, it's funny. I meet so many punkers and, and, and hardcore kids and well, not kids anymore. We're old men with gray hair, but, uh, Mm -hmm. it's like we, we, we got in, we were interested in that at an early age because something inside of us was calling for something more, you know? And, and I know that was the case for me. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful to this day. I still, I love punk. I love hardcore. I still play music. I still play in bands. I still listen to it every day. And, uh, I attribute wholeheartedly my spiritual evolution, you know, quote unquote, whatever that means to anyone to punk rock and hardcore music. And, uh, and yeah, so whether that is reading the Bhagavad Gita or the Dhammapada or some uh, Vedanta teachings, like, you know, it's just, I'm looking, what's underneath? What's going on underneath? And then we get really esoteric and it's like, well, wait a minute. There is actually no you (laughs) looking underneath. So I know I'm jumping way ahead there, but... Oh, dude, that's fine. And you know what? Like, that ethos, the way that those formative years of music shape you and me, that never leaves you. Like, I'm a 35-year-old guy sitting here in my Descendants t-shirt, and I've got, you know, and I've got, like, a box of t-shirts next to me, like, Propagandi and Face to Face, and, um... Yes, hold on. Can we take a minute to say Propagandi? Never, ever, ever has gotten enough respect, and I've fought so many friends, not physically, but, like... From uh, how to clean everything up uh, through everything, they are one of the most amazing bands ever, and I'm so glad you said that because I'm gonna seriously. I, I don't know how people don't love them. They're musically geniuses. Yep, lyrically <laughs> geniuses. They're yeah. phenomenal. I'm gonna one up you and say that they are 
my raddest band of all time. And awesome. you know, do you know who concurs with me? Brendan Kelly from the Lawrence Arms is very open in stating that that Propaganda is hands down the raddest band of all time. I, yeah, I, you can't. You there there is nothing from bass to guitar to drums to lyrics to even when they just replaced their guitarist not that long ago. Yeah, they found an amazing uh, female to fill in. Like, come on, man, they are. The shit. They're period. legit. Yeah, they're the best. And yeah, I'm welcome. a I'm a gigantic, gigantic propaganda fan. And whenever I say things to like my friends, like you know, if I could only listen to one song for the rest of my life, it would be speculative fiction. They all like ah, they all I scoff know. at me, and I'm like, dude, that <laughs> can you get a better song? I, I just I don't see it happening. Yeah, I I remember it was uh, the millennium actually ninety nine, and I was at a party with my friends, a bunch of hardcore kids. And, you know, they're playing their music and they put on How to Clean Everything. Um, and they were like, what's this bullshit? And I'm like, <laughs> no, listen, like, listen to the music, listen to the words. And anyways, um, yeah, I don't know if any of them ever came around, but God bless Propagandi. And they would probably curse me for saying that because we know how they feel about God, but they're amazing. Yeah, but they've taught you so much, and they've taught me so much as well. You know, like the yeah. the introduction of ideas that I got strictly from propaganda and from Bad Religion alone, those two bands yeah. just by themselves is uh, irreplaceable. I mean, arguably more influential than any, like, K-12 to education I had in, like, you know, social studies or English. Yeah. You know? Uh, dude, I, that's what I'm saying, like, my whole <laughs> my my uh, fiance and I joke often about, um, you know, I, I, I going through high school, I had a horrible experience. I was like that outcast punk rock kid, like, you know, and I, I'm in a small rural town. I graduated with maybe like 50 kids tops in my class. And um, my uh, what was it? not a quote? They uh, they give each uh, senior a. I leave blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, like I leave John with, you know, Tootsie Rolls or whatever. Mine, <laughs> we just rediscovered this a few weeks ago and it's so <laughs> apropos for this conversation. Yeah. And my girlfriend, uh, her fiance, whatever, she won't let me live it down. I wrote, you know, like I wrote, I think it was verbatim. I, Chris Grasso, leave after having dealt with four years of lies shoved down my throat. Is that like, in your yearbook? It, yes. And oh, and they le- and they legit printed that. Not only that, but then you go back to my actual yearbook, you know, you have your picture and your your favorite blah 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 and your pet peeves, my pet peeves. I named my high school, and they printed that. I don't know what the fuck, but um, <laughs> well, anyways, credit yeah. where credit is due for them actually putting that in the yearbook. I, I think they were just uh, honestly. I don't think they were doing uh, due diligence, but yeah. um, it's all right. Well, you know, okay. So all this matters because the way that I discovered your work in the first place, like I don't know, a little over a year ago, like you're really a fairly new person um as far as like the media the books that i read the podcast i listen to you're kind of new in my life and i'm glad i found you but the reason i found you is because you and i have three things in common okay we've had miguel chen brad yes. warner and yes. raganoth on both of our podcasts love all three yeah brothers you brothers know what in arms. and so 
the reason I found you is because when I I put out Brad Warner, um, I found out all the other episodes that he'd been on, and he's been on the Indie Spiritualist, your podcast, and then we both have had Raghunath, and we both had Miguel Chen. And I love that, and that is how I found you, and you never know what what kind of connection these little similarities are going to lead to. You know what I mean? Dude. Life is so weird. I was uh, that that just reminded me really quickly. I uh, I've taught at the Wanderlust festivals a bunch of times, you know those big fancy yoga blah 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 things, and uh, I was in West Virginia like two years ago, and I'm there. I uh, I was scheduled to give two talks and two workshops, and I get there and I'm looking at the schedule and who else is there, but my <laughs> man Raganoff. I'm like. <laughs> Holy shit, Ray uh, Ray's here. So, you know, we got to kick in, talk about Youth of Today and, you know, Shelter and Better Than Thousand, whatever. Like, um, it was rad. So, um, yes, life is weird and these circles are weird. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier is like you, you there is a calling for some of us, mm-hmm. you know, um, whatever it is. And, and it uh, it's just pulling us deeper. And then. Here we are, years later, and <laughs> what did you like? What do you like? The thing that I got the most from my conversation with Raghunath is I basically went through the Bhagavad Gita and pulled quotes left and right that spoke to me for whatever reason, and then I asked for his interpretation of those quotes, and I essentially had an hour long conversation with him on this podcast about exactly that. Like, what did you get out of the conversation with those three dudes, Miguel, Brad, Raghunath? Like, what did what did you what do you gain from these experiences on your show? <laughs> cool. Uh, well, um, great question. Uh, I am no scholar of the Gita. I definitely appreciate it. One of the um, most interesting things I've ever found was when I had Duncan Trussell on my show. I love him. Uh, yeah, he's amazing. He knows the Gita and and he can interpret it in a way that. I've rarely heard, but uh, side note. So anyways, um, when I had Ray on the show, uh, we just kicked it. Like we didn't talk about, I mean, we talked about the Gita, blah, blah, blah. But we talked about like being human beings and trying to be good human beings and living in the world today and how obviously it's not an easy thing and uh you know he has this beautiful farm in upstate new york and i am an asshole because he's invited me there (laughs) a million times and i have not been able to make it um but you know so he's doing his part as far as miguel i i just i don't even remember how i met miguel but um he was like he he was an instantly a brother and I remember prior to him writing his book, I Want to Be Well, you know, he reached out to me and even though he was working with Rod from uh, Lions Roar, who's love Rod, big shout out to him, amazing guy. Um, you know, Miguel was like, I don't know what to do. What do I do? How do I write this book? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how to write a book like shit. I have <laughs> two or three out. I still don't know how, but but. I, I tried to stumble my way through it, which is kind of, again, the that punk ethos. Like, we just figure it out as we go along. Miguel, what I will tell you is, uh, you know, he's had a lot of heavy hardships in his life. I yeah. mean, who amongst us haven't? Uh, he shared candidly about his sister and uh, just a lot of heavy stuff. So, 
you know, he uh, he wrote with Rod a fantastic book that I was humbled to be asked to endorse. And uh, it means the world to me that they did that. I cannot wait. They're working on a new book right now. I, I don't want to say anything more than that because that's for them to talk about. But mm-hmm. uh, they're working on a new book and it's going to be coming out soon and sounds absolutely amazing. And then Brad, as far as Brad goes, man, here's what I love about Brad. Yeah. <laughs> he is, you talk about no bullshit, that dude's no bullshit. Like, oh, totally. Yeah. I love, uh, I think my favorite book of his, uh, most people say Hardcore Zen or Sit Down, Shut Up, whatever. But my, I think my favorite book is uh, There Is No God and He's Always With You. That's mine too. That's mine too. I love uh, that book. All right. There we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, you know, he he really gets into some stuff. And, uh, I mean, he always does. And I deeply appreciate him for that. I, I, w- I mean, it would be ridiculous for me to to say that he's not been a very big influence in my life. Because um, he has. I have all his bookshelves, uh, or his books on my bookshelf. Um, the only thing, and I, and I would say this to him, to his face is like sometimes when he gets on uh, his videos or his blogs recently, uh, I feel like, you know, he's like, they didn't invite me to do this Mm. or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and look, I get it. Like I, I want to word this carefully. Yes. He wasn't invited because he tells it like it is. And that's why I love him. Yeah. But but to you know to go to the point to make multiple videos or or, or blog posts about it. I mean, I get it if it's one or two maybe, but um, that's the only thing I would say. Other than that, though, Brad Warner is the man. I deeply respect him, and uh, yeah, can he's I awesome. uh, can I ask you a specific question about a thing that Brad's been really prominent for lately? Yeah, sure. Okay, so. You and I sort of conversed on Facebook a few months ago when the whole lion's roar thing was going down with uh, the psychedelic drugs and everything. And I am curious if you ever came out on one side of that, because I know that you and Duncan Trussell have talked a lot about it. um, And but there was a lot of controversy with Brad and um, and Lion's Roar and Vince Horn and Buddhist geeks. Now, I have no dog in that fight. And but I feel that Brad made a really compelling case about psychedelics and it having no place in Buddhist practice. Like, did you ever come out on one side of that or the other? I'm just curious. No, and and I think you and I are the same. Um, and here's a, <laughs> I'll take the easy way out. I'm not Buddhist, so <laughs> right. Neither am I. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. I hundred percent heard what Brad was saying. The fifth precept: no intoxicants. Period. Like, I understand it. You know, like even though I'm sober, I, you know, I still see quote unquote, you know, hardcore Buddhists that are getting drunk or high all the time. And okay, I'm not going to judge that. (laughs) However, (laughs) me not being Buddhist, like I said, having a deep reverence for Buddhism, if I... (sighs) If I'm looking at that conversation specifically, I, I would say 
brides and the right. Um, you have these teachers promoting psychedelics from a uh, you know lineage that doesn't. Now, on the flip side of that, I will also say uh, I have personally years ago deeply benefited from psychedelics. And I know many people who have benefited from psychedelics. And I'm not talking about just partying. I'm talking about like people that did them to try to, you know, or not try to, just working on altering their consciousness. And what I respect about Brad is he even said like, hey, man, um, I don't know if he still does or not, but he was saying how like I smoke medical marijuana. So he's like, look, I'm not saying don't do this. I'm just saying don't do it under a Buddhist precept. Mm-hmm. And that I, that can't be argued with, man. Like um, unless like the Dalai Lama says – you know, Buddhism is always open. You know, if science ever proves it wrong, whatever, we will change this or that, which is cool. Um, no, I, I think Brad was right. But again, just, you know, I'm playing both sides of the coin because even though I don't do psychedelics, like I know the benefit they had in my life. I have seen the benefit that they have truly had in other people's lives and, uh, you know, there's to me, there's no such thing as a blanket statement. I would never make one like to each their own. Just please be safe. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. That was such an interesting debate. And I'm glad the, um, to be able to chat with you about that because I saw you following it as well. And it was really oh, yeah. interesting. It really was. interesting. And then your chapter in the book with Duncan Trussell kind of goes into that as well. And I found that to be very fascinating too. Yeah. Can we talk about your book, your newest one? No. No, we we absolutely cannot. Dang it. <laughs> yeah, dude. Okay. What do you, yeah. Okay. okay. What do you want? All right, so you're the author. You got 3 books, right? Yeah. And you your most recent one Dead Set on Living. And yeah. this book is is like raw, dude. It is full of hurt and experiences that are pretty overwhelming and like you open this book with this relapse story when did that happen like what was this year that you that you wrote about in your introduction i think that was uh like 2015 um and yeah man that was that uh, i i've come close to death uh more than one time but um that was the closest so yeah, that was like uh, 2015 that happened. Did your did you start your podcast after that happened? Oh man, good question. Uh, no, I think no, I didn't. No, because because I was doing it in Canada, whereas living shortly before I moved back to the United States. So no, I did not. Much love to our Canadian friends. I live on the border in Buffalo, so I'm a big uh, uh, I'm a big fan of my neighbors. Big ups. Yeah. Um, okay. So this book, you've got like there's like 19 guest conversations where you talk to all kinds of people. So my big question is, I noticed that I was listening to your Damien Eccles interview podcast episode, and then I read the chapter, and I noticed that you base the chapter 
on the conversation that you and Damien had on the podcast. Is that like what every chapter is based on in the book is like a conversation that you've had for the show as well? No, uh, actually a lot of the conversations um, weren't on the show at all. Um, Some of the chapters that were there, we edited them down and then I was able to take a lot of stuff that they felt weren't, uh, I don't want to say applicable, but yeah, I don't know, just for time constraints, whatever, didn't fit the show. So I was able to take like all of this, not all, a lot of uh, unused material and put it to paper. And not just that, but like really I revisited these um, after the conversation. I, I talked to every person in the chapter we revisited the conversation. We kind of edited. We, um, you know, do you agree with what you said? Would you edit it at all? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, we, we had a, a really, um, or I had at least a really uh, a, a nice time doing that. And it was weird because it was my first book writing one as such. But, um as you could kind of gather earlier, man, I'm, I'm just kind of spent on my own, my own voice. So, yeah. Yeah. Are you, um, okay. So how did you land on like these guests? I mean, cause you have so many people that you've talked to. How did you like land on the people that you did? Cause one of the things I noticed is that there is a huge range of diversity within the book as far as like yeah. different belief systems, sure. different practices. How did you land on the people that you did? Well, all right, so that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of, uh, you know, things I appreciate or people I appreciate or their teachings. Um, but really, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I looked at either conversations I had had with people or ones that I wanted to have with people um, based on, you know, yeah, what they had to say. And, you know, whether it's spiritual, not spiritual, uh, music, art, to me, I will say this, Ram Dass, one of my favorite quotes of his, it's all grist for the mill. (laughs) And I absolutely do believe that. So, you know, like for me, my life teaching (laughs) <laughs> it's funny, man. I, you know, we're sitting here. I'm looking around my apartment. If somebody walked in here right now, they'd be like, whoa. Because uh, it's like you see Shiva, you see Buddha, you see Jesus. But to be honest with you, uh, you see a lot of and maybe Seinfeld and whatever uh, mystery science theater. But then aside from that, you see a lot of like horror characters like sure. Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers some of the Stranger Things characters, uh, coffins, skulls, like, you know, it's just my old, oh, wow, my original Tony Hawk skateboard from 1988. Oh, sweet. Is hanging up on my wall. But, um, yeah, man, like, I am a student of life, period. And if I decide that life can only be taught here or there or there then man what a what a shitty life that would be what's the Um, point right exactly so no legit like whether it's a, a specific spiritual tradition a style of music 
a style of art or film. Like, I love life. And I just, man, like, I, I, yeah, I love it. One of the things that I saw that you recently did that I wanted to ask you about is your trip to the Satanic Temple in Salem, Massachusetts. Hell yeah. Man, tell me about that trip, because everything you just said, you are open to ideas and things that might scare people. And, (laughs) you know, and I think that that's so interesting. So go ahead and tell me about that trip there, because I'm super curious. Happy to talk about it, because a lot of people hear the word Satan and freak out. I have actually on my uh, website years ago, I interviewed uh, Magis uh, something Gilmore. He took over for Anton LaVey out of the New York chapter. Now, here's two very big differences. There is the Satanic Church, which is in New York, and then there is the Satanic Temple, which is based out of Salem. And there actually is a big difference. The Satanic Temple, they might have some similarity in tenets or whatnot, but what they do is so much good for humanity. Like, they're fighting for um, LGBTQ rights. They're fighting for, uh, I mean, literally, like, any right you can kind of think of, they are out there fighting for it. They're offering after school um, programs for kids that, you know, don't want to have Jesus shoved down their throat. And hey, I love Jesus. I do. But I also, I kind of, I kind of like Baphomet. He's a good dude. Like I, I have no affinity for both. So when I went to the satanic temple, again, it is not about, you know, hail Satan, kill people, blah, blah, blah. No, it's legit about like, let's make this world a better place. And I encourage anyone listening, please check out their website, the satanic temple. I think it's .com, might be .org. I'm not affiliated. I'm not sponsored by them. I I bought a t-shirt and I took a picture on Baphomet, but I, uh, I have no legit affiliation. Um, they're just good people trying to do good things. And and I resonate with that because they're like an alternative approach. You know, like I went in there and and it was like the 13-year-old Chris wearing that Cro-Mags t-shirt, like walking in like, yeah, hey, cool. Um, so, yeah, but they are lovely people. And, and besides that, Salem, Massachusetts, absolutely phenomenal town. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I had, uh, I had some guests on a few months ago to talk about, um, the philosophy of Satanism in modern society. And it was Alexandra and Zachary James, and they're in a doo-wop band called Twin Temple out of Los Angeles. Nice. And, yeah. and they're fantastic. Um, but the whole entire conversation was about gender equality and freedom of speech under the first amendment. And it was super fascinating because that's kind of what you see if you go to their website and you look up like the guiding philosophies on the website, like you just mentioned. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, because a lot of people, and I'm not dissing the, uh, the church of Satan. I, you know, again, I no affiliation with either, but what most people think of as Satanism is, you know, kind of correct. Like, it's all about the flesh, you know, like just feel good, do what feels good. 
it's not about sacrifice, but you know, like just live for the moment because you only live once, blah, blah, blah. That's the Church of Satan in New York. And again, no uh, disrespect to them, but the Satanic Temple in Salem, totally different thing. They have tenants. They are they are legitimately like fighting the good fight in the world. And uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't support them enough. Just like if I went to uh, you know some Buddhist temple or some mystic Christian temple that is doing the same thing, which I have done and am friends with those people that are, you know, fighting. They're basically saying the same thing just from different perspectives. So it's like, cool, man, like, let's just make humanity better. Let's help each other out. Let's be there for one another. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. I mean, the the incredible diversity that you have spoken to, like in your book and with the guests on your show— I mean, you talk to um, Mona Haider, and you have uh, mm-hmm. Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus, and then um, practitioners of ceremonial magic like Damien Eccles, like we mentioned earlier. And yeah. it seems like you have explicitly set yourself the goal of talking to folks from a diverse range of very committed practice in whatever tradition it may be. You know, absolutely. Yes. As long as yes, if, if their heart is in it, if if it's something they truly believe in, 100 percent like Mona, like you mentioned, I adore her. I've been blessed to teach with her a few times. You know, this beautiful Muslim woman who knows her uh, traditions so well. And then Damien, someone who comes from magic which has nothing to do with satanism or whatever um you know like that's a practice that saved him from 15 years in solitary confinement let alone the additional years in prison you know and and it saved him and not only that now he's sharing it with other people in the hopes that hey i hope it can help you i mean I just saw a dude did a a freaking event with Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. Sweet. And yeah, and then uh, a week later, a week before, with uh, someone from the Dixie Chicks. And it's like, you know, man, yeah, cool. Like, whatever, whatever. As long as it's helping other people, just help other people. That's all. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me of uh, your conversation with Duncan Trussell in the book. And because yeah. he encourages everyone to experiment for yourself, do the work, find out what works and what doesn't. And instead of getting all caught up in like robes and symbols, yeah, do the work. Like, yeah. what are you experimenting with right now with good success? I know you mentioned you're in a transition yourself. Like, what are you experimenting? Are you taking these this advice from Duncan and trying some stuff out and putting stuff through the ringer? <laughs> Yeah, great question. Uh, I, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm taking uh, Duncan's advice, but I, I would recommend others do. Um, no, what I'm doing right now, to be totally honest with you, is basically nothing. I uh, I do meditate, and because that's like a core thing for me. But other than that, I've just been reading so much Advaita, um, non-dual uh, books that. It's like, you know what? 
let's just see what happens. Like my practice is open my eyes. And when I walk out the door, keep my eyes open. When I walk down the street, keep my eyes open. When I get to an appointment, keep my eyes open. Like that's my practice. If I get on my skateboard, cool, man. What's going on when you're on your skateboard? That is my practice. Aside from that, yes, always a meditation, a formal, just because for me, that helps. I, I take 20 minutes, you know, I used to do an hour, I, <laughs> whatever, you know, do five minutes. I don't care, but I like to take 20 minutes to quiet my mind, just be easy. But aside from that, my practices open my eyes and uh, see what's happening through them. And even the word my eyes, I should, I don't mean to be esoteric, but uh, quotations, just see what's happening through these eyes that are in this body that's happening to be here on this earth in this day and uh let's yeah. see where it goes from there your body's very much rented for a very very limited amount of time isn't it yeah legit man and like something i also really admire about your books and your work is like you talk about like struggle and like the real struggle of what it means to be alive in this as i just said rented body to give a shout out to my former teacher uh Sado Ray Ronsi who wrote a book of poems by that title what are nice. you what are you struggling with these days cuz your book is about struggle but it's yeah. like 3 3 and a half 4 years in the past now like what's going on now uh every day i still deeply struggle with and <laughs> it's so funny not funny but it's like i have to laugh at it uh my lack of self-worth, my lack of self-love. I just got engaged a month ago and I have been struggling with feeling like I am worthy of being a partner to this absolutely incredible woman. Um, I'm not saying it's a 24-7 struggle, but it is. Um, and and that's part of the practice. Like I said, you know, like look through the eyes, see what's happening. Like, I wake up and and where is that struggle really coming from? Like, sure, there's uh, deeply rooted stuff there. I do EMDR therapy weekly, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, but aside from that, what what is that struggle? Like, why why do I feel so unworthy? Why, honestly, man, like, why do I feel like such a piece of shit sometimes? Mm -hmm. Why do I feel like I am not worthy of this lovely woman who loves me in a way that I've never been loved before. And, yeah. uh, yeah, that's, that's to be honest, yeah, that's my big struggle today, man. You know, and that reminds me. Um, so I, I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff too myself back in June, my family moved from Missouri to Buffalo, New York. And like in June of 2015, I went vegetarian, and I didn't struggle mm. at all until June of 2018 when I was moving across the country. So moving is like the worst thing ever, and I was stressed like at capacity, and I pulled up at my friend's house in Indianapolis, and he had a meat lover's pizza delivered to his house because he didn't know <laughs> what diet I adhered to, yeah. and I am like at peak like stress, and I 
tore into that meat lover's pizza and I devoured like three quarters of this thing and I hadn't yeah. had a piece of meat in like three years and I never struggled with it at all. And then yeah. ever since then, man, I've been eating McDonald's and buffalo wings and pepperoni pizza and fish sandwiches and hot dogs and it is a vicious spiral of sure. shame and hatred and it's like not every day since June, but like a lot of days since June, man, I've been diving into some buffalo wings and beating myself up the entire time that I'm eating them because I don't want to eat them, but here I am doing it, you know, and it's excruciating. You, uh, you're opening a big can of worms here, but I will say this. Uh, I am not vegetarian. That's I fine. was for, uh, 12 years. Actually, I was vegan for like eight and then, uh, vegetarian the rest. But what I will say is... Um, so tell me about that detransition, because I want to go back to it, but I'm also trying not to drive myself crazy with shame in the interim sure. whenever I'm in this delicate place. Here's what I do, man. And this is me, again, I cannot stress to anyone who's listening, this is just what I do. I, I'm not telling anyone listening, like, this is the way. This is just what Chris does. Um, right now... Uh, and for the past couple of years, I have felt okay eating meat. And I know, you know, I can hear I, already, I can hear some of your listeners screaming. Um, and that's okay. And I honor your screams. But here's the thing we're all unique individuals. Our bodies need different things. Yes, granted, I know like the studies have been done. It, the world would be better if we stopped eating meat. I'm not here to argue that at all. I respect that and I honor that. What I am saying is, again, we're each unique individual. So speaking specifically to you in your case, I wouldn't, if you're going to keep eating meat, I'm not saying keep going to McDonald's or KFC or, you know, wherever you mentioned, maybe you could start working it more towards free range or, you know, something like that. And then from there, if your heart feels called to, you can digress and, you know, move back to a, you know, a more grain based diet. But, um, man, we're, we're all, we're just, we're each unique individuals. I struggle with this too, man. I eat meat. Look, I do. And I do feel guilty. I'm not going to lie. Like, I do. There are there are times I don't. But a lot of time I do. Because I had so many years of veganism and vegetarianism. And, uh, and, and so part of me 100% does believe that, like, inside there is a part of me saying – you need this kind of protein in your body right now. Okay. But then there's another part of me. It's like, you know, ouch, you know, from the animals. Right. And the only thing, the last thing I will say, and this is no justification one way or another, but one thing that always has stuck with me and you and your listeners can take this with a grain of salt, but believe in him or not, supposedly that guy named Jesus said at one point, it is more important what comes out of your mouth than what goes into it. 
And so, sure, maybe that's a scapegoat, you know, saying I use, I don't know, but I do. Like, I remember that a lot. And if there are times I'm guilty or not guilty, feeling guilty, I just remember, okay, maybe I ate something I shouldn't have, but what am I putting out into the world that that, you know, gave me sustenance to do? And yeah, I get it. I could have gotten the sustenance from quinoa or whatever. I know I'm I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just being real. That's where I'm at. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That was, uh, you know, that was just like a way to think about how life throws curveballs and the way that we handle those curveballs is so imperfect for every person. Always, man. You know? All right. So, um... I definitely think that like people should check out your books, um, Indie Spiritualist, Everything Mind, Dead Stone Living. So you've had like so many cool conversations with people on your podcast. What uh what books do you recommend that people check out by your past guests or like what are some episodes that you think that new listeners to you might be interested in checking out if they like what they're hearing from you today? Ah man, that's that's a fair question. I appreciate that. Um, I would say, as far as podcasts go, the uh, two of the more recent ones actually, John Joseph from Chromags, uh, was a real legit like straight up conversation, and my homie uh, Joshua Coburn cannot uh, recommend him enough. Joshua C O B U R N if you are looking for any kind of inspiration, like that's it. And, uh, the podcast with them, it just aired actually, I think last week. Um, but aside from that books, man, I, I don't like to recommend spiritual books cause you know, everyone's so different. Yeah. I have my favorites like Ram Dass and Ken Wilber, whatever. But, um, if you're going to read a good book, pick up Yukowski. Uh, uh, pick up Palianuk. Pick up, um, man. I don't know. There's so many goes. Hunter Thompson. Like those are the readers. Like I like to read. Uh, the Last Night of the Earth poems by Charles Bukowski. Hands down, my favorite book. Uh, can't recommend that one enough. Nice. Any anything else spring to mind? Because I'm just going to add my reading list too. Because I'm looking to get outside of some spirituality as well. I need some new stuff. I've been stuck in the in like the same trend of reading for like the last year or so because of the show. Oh, yeah. understand. Sure, man. I mean, uh, if you uh, if you check out Mark Z. Danielewski. Oh yeah, House of Leaves, right? House of Leaves, yeah. And he just started a whole new thing, The Familiar, a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, of course, Hunter Thompson, who I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, Hell's Angels is one of my favorites that he did, uh, William Burroughs, uh, anything by him, but you know, Junkie, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. Chuck Klosterman. I love anything Chuck Klosterman writes. Fantastic. Like, yeah. Um, nice. Okay, what's uh, what's upcoming for you? What do you got coming up? <laughs> uh, as little as possible. <laughs> Are you going into like sort of like a, a hiatus for a bit? Yeah, man, I'm trying to. Like, 
I got, uh, I don't know, as weird as after all this conversation sounds, I'm going to be speaking like in Silicon Valley next year. Um, but I am kind of stoked because it's at the uh, Institute of Noic Sciences, mm-hmm. which uh, is Edgar Mitchell's thing. Um, so, yeah, I'll be out there with the fucking weirdo Facebook. I don't know. Whoever's out there. Uh, no, but other than that, yeah, my um, I am honestly taking it slow. My friend Jessica Pimentel and I, she's uh, one of the stars of, uh, what is it? Yeah, or- uh, Orange, Orange is, is the New, New Black, Black, right? Yeah. 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 She's a good friend. We're going to be doing a workshop at uh, Alex Gray's Cosm. Aside from that, uh, me and Randy Bly and uh, John Joseph are going to be doing a workshop there as well. Totally separate. God, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, like other than that, I'm just trying to like, do local Connecticut stuff. I uh, I don't know. I do have a, a a book that I'm pretty excited about the idea on, but I'm uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm just here, like yeah. I I don't I don't like I don't <laughs> as if I had not made it clear enough. I don't like the whole you know. Hey, you've written books. You've done this or that, like whatever bullshit. Um, I just I don't like that. So you know, I love that about you though, because I, you know, I had like this gigantic list of specific questions about the book that like I could have gone into, but instead we just had a normal conversation. I uh, I can't thank you enough about that, then, sir, because I would have much rather done this than that yeah and uh we can hey man we can do another show and i will answer those questions like i respect you enough to do it but i uh no man i just just, uh, let's be real like let's talk what's what's going on in life i love it all right well chris um where can people find you if they want to like you know give you some love (laughs) nowhere i'm taking all of my social media down dude that would honestly be the healthiest thing in the world i think i I like i honestly am like halfway there but no if anyone does give a shit and i appreciate it if they do the indie spiritualist.com and from there you can find you know the facebook the instagram the blah 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 um but the one thing i will say man i i know i've been kind of self-deprecating but i will say this I did write three books, and I've, over the course of five years, gotten a ton of touching, very deeply touching feedback about those books, whether it's from people struggling with addictions or depressions or mental health issues or family members that were just trying to understand it better. So, you know, I'll shit on myself all day, but I got to say, like, I'm grateful that those books are in the world because they do seem to be helping people. And that is, at the end of the day, that's where my heart's at. I just want to help people. You know, and there's a voice in there that I recognize a lot in your book. And I think about a lot of the high school students that I've taught for the last like 10, 12 years. And I could see a lot of them, you know, understanding your voice. So I'm glad that your voice is out there. I do appreciate that, and and good to know you're teaching because, a little exclusive for you, Sweet. I'm uh, creating a, uh, the one thing I am doing is creating a new uh, curriculum for teenagers and the uh, 
the board, you can't kind of, I don't think you go wrong with this board. You got Randy from Lamb of God. You got John from Cro-Mags. You got Kane Otter who played Jason Voorhees. You got, uh, I think Russell Brand's going to be on board. Oh my God. You got like, there's so many great people like on this board. They're all advisors and uh, I, I've brought them together to help me create just this initiative, this real like program that kids actually give a shit about and will want to do. Uh, so yeah, man, I uh, maybe we could stay in touch uh, about that as well. Very nice. You should also um, maybe to get a little Buffalo connection going on. You should uh, talk to Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die. He's a novelist. And you could um, ah. reach out to him and see if he's got any ideas for some writing stuff. Love it. Hey, man, make the connection happen. I'm asking you. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, anyway, Chris, I know that I've kept you for an hour today. I'm super grateful to you for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure for me. And, uh, you know, I'm going to keep following your work. And I look forward to everything in the future that you're going to do wherever wherever your path takes you. Awesome, man. Thank you. And uh, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for putting this uh, sort of material into the world. We need it now more than ever. Uh, Not my voice specifically, but just these kinds of ideas. So thank you, man. It has been rad. Yes, it has. Classical Ideas is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Greg Soden. Music on this episode of Classical Ideas was written by Patrick Ritter and performed by Patrick Ritter and Greg Soden. If you like Classical Ideas, please rate it on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at classical underscore ideas or on Facebook at facebook.com slash classical ideas podcast. You can email me at classicalideas at outlook.com. Thanks for listening.